Thank you, worship team. Wasn't that great seeing Ryan up here this morning? If you didn't notice him, now you do. And uh, I think Chuck's been up here a couple weeks, but uh, I wasn't sure what I thought about the trombone. But that adds. I really, I like that. That's, that's pretty good. Remember Chuck was, so thank you, worship team. And they are a team, and certainly, uh, I don't know, I was, I was thinking as I was sitting over there, uh, it, it, it's great to be part of any church, but it's, it's great to be part of this church. When I come here, and I was, I was, as I was standing over there just, just singing, as you focus and meditate on the words, my mind went to this, this thought of it doesn't matter all that kind of went on in the week. When you come together with God's people and sense the presence of the Lord, it's almost as if all those other things that were just kind of weights and baggage in your week, it, it's, it's like they, I don't know if this, it's like they just disappear and you're like, you realize that God is good, God is great, He is, I mean, when we were singing, holy, 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 I'm no longer a slave, I mean, if that doesn't do something to you, I, something's, something's not right. So I don't know, that was me, that, uh, that was just great being part of that uh, worship set this morning. So last time I preached was a month or two ago. I don't know where that actually was in fall, uh, but, I, but I, was, I spoke about idolatry. And so this was something that God has really been, been working on me and just things in my life that had taken prominence. And uh, by your comments, I think that it resonated with some of you as well. Things that can easily creep into our life that become more important than our love for God. So I can't repeat that message, but the more I was thinking about these things, and we, and we listed a bunch of things that, that can become idols, right? something as simple as food, right? things that are God's blessings can become idols in our life, material possessions, uh, relationships, e even emotional feelings of comfort can become an idol in our life. So my mind has continued to think on that same line, and then, so as I was praying about what God would have me uh, speak about this morning and, and, and share with us, I was like, okay, do I do an expository message? That's what we're kind of used to is we're going, well, I'm not going to preach an Acts, that's for sure. Uh, uh, do I go back to James? I just didn't feel like the Lord was leading me that direction. And so I landed on what is God teaching me? And so I want to, if anything um, hits a nerve or I say something that kind of doesn't sit well with you, just, just say, oh, he's, pe he's preaching to himself anyways, all right? So God is doing a work on me, and if it fits you this morning, then you can wear it and let the Holy Spirit work on you in that area as well. So as I was thinking of this area of idolatry, right, things that take a more prominent place in our life, and we, put, and we elevate those above God. And sometimes I think it is, you know, we, you know, so maybe the last time even some of you identified idols in your life, and sometimes we can take those idols and let's just take it for food, right? Let's just take food is not, food is a blessing from God. But let's say that becomes an idol where you run to that for comfort. And when things are going, instead of running to God, you run to food. So food can become an idol. And like, okay, I've identified this idol of food in my life. And I'm going to focus, I'm, I'm not going to let that be an idol in my life. So I'm going to, I'm going to diet. I'm not going to think about food. I'm not going to think about food when I'm stressed. And I'm, I'm not going to think about food... And sometimes I think we focus so much on our idols, and that's what we're trying to not let them be idols. So I was sitting there thinking, do you know how you don't allow idols to be idols? 
It's when the flip side of that coin is when I love something so much greater that that doesn't become that important. So I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to focus on my idols and make them not be idols. I want to focus on my love for God. So what would that look like? If, if I was to focus on my love for God so much, I would love God with my, all my heart, my soul, and my mind, I wouldn't be thinking about my idols. That They wouldn't be idols. So that, that's where my mind has been going. Like, okay, love God with all my heart, soul, and mind. Idolatry will take care of itself. All right, so in that message on idolatry, I mentioned Jonah. And how he had this idol of comfort and safety, all right? So God tells him to go to Nineveh, and he's like, uh, no thanks. Those people, um, if I go there, they're not really friends of ours. I'm a goner, right? I'm going to die, and no thanks, God. And so uh, he has this idol, an idol of comfort and safety. So we talked about that in, in that last message. So I was thinking about Jonah, and I actually spent a lot of time in Jonah over the last month or two. And... But there was also this concern of Jonah that these people, the Ninevites, might actually repent and God might actually show them mercy. So one, Jonah doesn't want to die, but he also is like, these people might actually repent and I know God and he actually might spare them. Do I really want that to happen? So here's what I want to do. So as we go through this, we're going to go, you're going to have to hang with me here because we're at communion afterwards, so I'm going to, I'm going to rush through this. So you, hopefully you can listen as fast as I'm talking here this morning. We're going to go through a quick overview of Jonah. Now, I'm not preaching on Jonah, but we're going to go do a quick overview of Jonah. And I know many of you know the story. We're going to make a few points, and I'm going to draw one conclusion. Then I'm going to look at a couple other passages and then kind of make a one main point, which is why the message is a little bit different, which is why your sheet is not a normal fill-in-the-blank type sheet. You can make some notes along the way if you'd like. And then I want to draw some applications of what do we take away here this morning. And I hope that it has some level of impact in your life as it has been in mine even these last few weeks. So here we go. You ready? Jonah. I'm going to skip around. We're going to, we're going to cover the story of Jonah. So verse 1, here we go. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So here's the message. Jonah, go to Nineveh. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The second time we have that phrase. But the Lord hurled a great wind. Okay, so here's what's taking place, all right? God comes to Jonah. Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Now, just for a perspective, all right, from your perspective, if this is Nineveh right here, all right? So it's kind of a northern part of modern-day Iraq, the northern part of the Assyrian Empire along the Tigris River. Right? Jerusalem's maybe right about here, and Joppa is a port city right along the Mediterranean City, uh, the Mediterranean Sea. Nineveh, Joppa, Jerusalem. Jonah, go to Nineveh. Jonah, no thanks. I'm going to Joppa. I'm getting on a boat. And Tarshish is all the way across the Mediterranean Sea, all the way over here. All right? Jonah's like, I'm going in the opposite direction. Maybe if I get far enough away, God will call somebody else. All right? Have you ever had that thought? All right? God, I think you should call someone else for do that job. So that's Jonah's response. Verse uh, 4, But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. We don't really know how far he got away from Joppa, uh, but this storm comes up. Verse 11. Again, I'm going to be jumping through here. The verses will be on the screen, so you can follow along there if you'd like. 
Then they said to him, all right, so these other guys that are on the boat, it was their boat, he's just riding along. What shall we do to you now that this sea, the storm has come up? They've realized, Jonah, you're the problem. What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He, Jonah, said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Jonah literally says, you know what? Throw me overboard. I'll just die. All right? That's better than me going to Nineveh. I'm obviously in trouble. You'll be fine. Throw me overboard. I'll die and you'll all be fine. And the Lord appointed a great fish, verse 17, appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. We're going to notice that God, and all throughout Jonah, we see the sovereignty of God, by the way, but he has sovereignty over nature, creation. So here's one. The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish, and I know many of you know this, three days and three nights, all right? Then chapter 2, the first part is, then Jonah prayed. Three days and three nights in the belly of a fish then Jonah prays? This guy, I don't know what his problem is. He's a stubborn dude, all right? I would have been like three seconds in the belt. Okay, God, I was wrong. Uh, I, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Get me out of here. All right, now, by the way, I don't know if any of you have seen, like, uh, when I was a kid, I'd see this, you know, this big fish and this huge belly, and Jonah's sitting in there, lots of space, candlelight, reading a book. That is not what this was like, all right? This would have been cramped, damp, nasty, smelly, all right, three days and three nights, doing whatever. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord in verse, or chapter 2, prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. We're not going to go through his prayer. That's not the point for, for this morning. Verse 10, and the Lord spoke to the fish. Okay, so finally Jonah's like, okay, I'm sorry. You're a good and gracious God. I was wrong. Get me out of here. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah. Now, I don't exactly know how much time went from 10, he gets spit upon the dry ground, to the Lord again comes. So it wasn't like, okay, I'll go to Nineveh, and he goes to Nineveh. The word of the Lord actually came again to Jonah. Jonah, you're not getting out of this, all right? Just because you did your time in the whale doesn't mean you don't, get to, don't have to go to Nineveh. Chapter 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Verse 4, so Jonah obeys this time. Here he goes. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Okay, I, I can't even tell you how many times I've said that, read that, and said it in different tones throughout the week. Okay, so here, here's with me. Now, again, I've been thinking about this all week. Does Jonah want to be in Nineveh? Okay, now he didn't want to be in Nineveh, then he ends up in the, the belly of this fish for three days and three nights. Does he always, all of a sudden, have this transformation, okay, God, I repent, I love these people, and I want to go to Nineveh? Is that what happens? Okay, a lot of you know the end of the story. That, that is not, is he having a good attitude right here, right now? No. And we know by, in a few verses, we're going to see what his response is. Okay. I don't have the, whatever he said, this is all we have, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I doubt he's getting on his hands and knees as he's going through here. You guys need to repent. Judgment is coming. I'm actually seeing more like this. 40 days, you're all going to be dead. You're going to be done. God's judge. It had to be the worst message of all time. All right? Now, 
This is also not part of the message, but this is a side note. I think this is really important. We see the response of Nineveh. This actually gives me chills even to think of this. It's not the messenger that God uses. This has nothing to do with the message this morning, but this is a great point. Hopefully, when you have an opportunity to speak truth, okay, is Jonah speaking truth? Even though he has a rotten attitude, his spirit is not in it, when you have an opportunity to speak truth, it's not about you, right? So what's the response? And the people of Nineveh believe, okay, literally, the, Jonah, you have no heart in this at all. I mean, you're, you're the, your method is just horrible. What happens? The people of Nineveh believe God. What? Yeah, because when God prepares the heart of a person, you just obey and deliver truth. And here we have an example of, of Jonah doing this. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Again, don't ever shy away from sharing God's truth. It is often where we like, I'm too scared. I don't know if I'll, I might mess it up, and then they may not get saved. Well, you're putting a lot of confidence in yourself, okay? That sounds like pride to me. When you have an opportunity to share truth, share truth. God will use it, and God uses Jonah here. Again, that's not the point of this message. Okay, we're, so we're continuing on. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose. I'm going to read quickly through this, okay, so just catch the idea of, of what's going on. So even the king, he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout, uh, through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily God. This is like the greatest revival of all time, right? This, this is a very affluent, and again, we're not going to go into what Nineveh, but this is a very affluent and very large city. Let everyone, I continue reading, turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his lands. Who knows? God, and this is still the king, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. All right, so the Ninevites repent. Okay, so just so you have an idea, so we can put this in kind of like our understanding. All right, so I, I, I've envisioned this being me. You envision it being you. God comes to you and says, I want you to share my truth and the gospel with Anderson. And I want you to start on one end of Clemson. This is kind of funny, but the, just picture this. I want you to start on one end of Clemson Boulevard, and I want you to come all the way down, just walking all the way down Clemson Boulevard, and walking down the middle of Clemson Bar Boulevard probably would not seem strange for some reason, because uh, lots of people do that. Uh, walking down, and cars don't really move very fast, so they're going to hear your message. You're walking down, you're sharing the truth of repent. God is going to judge Anderson. Turn from your sin. Okay, you're giving them, and you're going all the way down Clemson Boulevard, down Main Street, into downtown Anderson, and you're like, this is not going to work. And all of a sudden, people are stopping, the cars are getting out. I, I'm trusting God. I repent of my sin. And you're like, oh, okay, we, that's actually hard for us to even like picture, but that's what happened. This entire, over 120,000 people turned from their evil ways because of this message that Jonah brings. Can you imagine if that, you'd, what, I was thinking, what would that, what would my response be to that? Like, that was awesome! 
you guys are not very excited this morning. <laughs> can, you, can you, I mean, like, probably I would have a, a struggle with sinfulness because I would probably get a lot of pride, right? But it would also be this, like, look at what God just did, how God used me. I mean, that would be amazing. Would, would that not be amazing? Okay. Jonah, chapter 4. Are you ready? But it displeased, this is Jonah's response. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Are you hanging with me here today? He was angry. What? And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew. Did Jonah know God? Yes. Did Jonah know who God was and his characteristics? Yes. I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. God, I knew this is what you were going to do. Great. You let them all live. And this guy is, is a bad dude. So the continues on, verse 5. Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Let's just see what actually happens to the city. Now, the Lord God appointed a plant. Again, we've seen sovereignty of God here. Appointed a plant. This is great. Are you with me? And made it come up over Jonah that it might be shade over his head. God is an amazing God, all right? And, and Jonah knew this, how gracious he was. God spares the entire city. They repent of their sin. Jonah gets angry. What? He's sitting here pouting, but the Lord God provides a plant that it might be shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. This guy doesn't. He, he deserves discomfort. Amen? Okay. All right. Just making sure you're with me. This next one is great. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. What? I mean, this is the first time we have any emotion of any happiness at all in this guy's life because of a plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a... You see God's miraculous hand in all these details, right? God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked... This made me laugh this week as I was just going to read over this again. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. God said to Jonah... Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. This guy is so dramatic. He could literally be part of my youth group, all right? <laughs> I'm just joking, okay? I'm just kidding. Everybody laughs. Pretty dramatic, all right? And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And you should, should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left. These last four words, again, just made me... I, and also much cattle. What? That's, that is how the book ends, all right? Now, God has a sense of humor. I think God created humor, all right? I, I don't know that God is sarcastic. I, for a while, I thought that was my spiritual gift, but... I don't think God is being sarcastic, but it's almost like this sarcastic. If you can't actually have pity over all of these souls that I created, you could have at least been happy that I spared the cattle. I mean, that, that's, that's, that's what he's saying here. What in the world did we go through all that for? 
All right, there is, the book of Jonah is great, by the way. There, there's so, and I just kind of alluded to several things. We're, we're going to draw one main point. There's so much more to this book. But I want to pull out this one main idea. Jonah's a prophet of God. He knew who God was. He had the privilege of having God communicate to him. All right, so let me ask you this. Do you know who God is? And, and many of us in here, if we put our faith in trust in Jesus Christ, our answer to that is, yes, I know who God is. Do we have the privilege of God communicating to us? Yes. He understood the character of God. He even said, that's why I didn't want to go to Nineveh, because I knew you were going to be gracious to these people. He understood the character of God. Yeah, we sang about several characters of God this morning. I think we understand characters of God. But here we see this massive lack of love and obedience to God and a lack of love for others. And I'm going to pull out that one thought from this story of how can a guy like Jonah who knew God, who had God speak to him in the way that he did and understood the character of God behave in this way and have such a lack of obedience to God and love for others? So I started asking myself this question. You with me? What does a life look like that loves God and loves others? What does that look like? So Matthew 22, 35 and 4, I'm going to read these verses, they'll be on the screen. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question to test him. These are probably verses that many of us are familiar with. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. If I love something, I'm asking this question, you answered in your mind. If I love something with all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, what would that look like? What would that look like? Think of something that you love very dearly. What does that look like? I would, I would sacrifice for it. I would put much time and energy into it. I would most likely be consistently thinking about it, right? So does that describe your relationship with God? Does that describe my relationship with God? And I'm afraid, even as we kind of laugh through some of the story of Jonah and then like criticize him for some of his responses, I'm afraid that many of us are more like Jonah oftentimes than we want to admit. Why? Because we make our decisions based on our own comfort and our own desires instead of obeying and pleasing God and showing love to others. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So let's turn our attention to Luke 9. So if you want to turn there in your Bible, Luke 9 will be there for a little bit. Again, the verses will be on the screen as well to Luke 9. And it has this idea of following Jesus. Now, following implies not just present, but also future, right? We played that game and follow the leader. You don't follow for a second. You follow, you know, for the duration of that little game. It, it implies future. You might even say from now on, as Jesus is saying, now on in your life, follow me. So when Jesus called you to salvation, I'm talking to believers here this morning, when Jesus called you to salvation, he wasn't calling you for a moment, 
but a lifetime. Come, follow me implies present and all future. Okay, so here we are in Luke 9. Now, this chapter uh, 9 in Luke has a bunch of things. The feeding of the 5,000, the Mount of Transfiguration, several different healings, a healing of an unclean spirit. But here we have, I'm going to pull out one verse and then and a few verses at the end. So verse 23. So if you can picture these just different people, he's moving around from town to town, and he has different crowds that follow him. Obviously, the feeding of the 5,000, probably 20,000-plus people that he feeds and is listening to him. And, and a lot of these people follow him around from place to place. Verse 23 says, and he said to all, so all the people that were still there, he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Is it going to cost something to follow Christ? Yes. All right. And here it even says, take up your cross daily, daily and follow me. All right. And then we're going to jump all the way down to verse 57. We're going to have three individuals here that he poses a question to about following. So here we go, verse 57. As they were going along the road, so there's walking around, and there's, I'm assuming there's a bunch of people and walking around. As they're going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, meaning foxes even have holes that they go and, and sleep in at night, and birds of the air have nests, they have their little home, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Continuing on, we'll come back to that verse here in a second. To another, he said, follow me. But this guy says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead, but as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. And then we'll read that last verse here in just a second. Okay, so we have three individuals here. Now, if you're going to write down anything, you could write these three things down because I think a lot of times... Our struggle in our commitment and our love for God, like it should be, falls in one of these three areas. All right, this first guy I put, he was hindered by personal comfort. Hindered by personal comfort. So foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests. So even the animals have a place to put their head, but man, I'm just traveling around and I don't know where I'm going to sleep at night. I don't have material possessions. It's not going to be real comfortable traveling around with me. Are you sure you want to follow me? Number one, this guy is hindered by personal comfort. The second person, I put, he's hindered by materialism or a desire for things. Now, for a while, I did not understand. I remember reading this when I was a kid and someone preached on this. I'm like, what? Lord, let me go first and bury my father. Doesn't that seem like a, a right and respectful and noble thing to do? Yes. And Jesus replies, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Okay. First of all, Jewish custom would have been, if someone dies, when do you bury that person? Same day, right away. They didn't have the ability to preserve the body. So it was the same day, all right? And then there was going to be like 30 days of a mourning process. So this guy is here following along the crowds. Does this guy, did his father just die? No, all right? So what's, what's the point? His father is still alive. Okay, so what are we saying here? What, what are we, what's this saying? All right, if my reading is correct from what I read this last week, there's actually some Middle Eastern countries that still use this phrase, bury my father. What does it mean? All right, so if I'm going to go bury my father, it means I'm going to stay home. I'm not going to leave home until my parents, my father has passed because then I want to collect what is my inheritance, what is coming to me. I want to finalize the estate. 
right? So this guy is saying what? Let me go home, and when my father dies, I can collect all that is coming to me, and then maybe once I get those things, then maybe I'll follow you. Does that make sense? He was hindered by possessions, materialism. And then number three, this guy was hindered by relationships. I think this is the closest one maybe to, to being okay, but we have this indication that none of these actually follow Christ. He says, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those in my home. Let me first go and make sure everything is okay at home. Let me make sure that everyone's okay with me leaving and following you. Maybe I can get a good uh, farewell party. Just make sure that everything checks out okay and everybody's good, and then I'll follow you. So he's hindered by relationships. Now, again, we don't, this is all we have about these, but the indication as, as Christ finishes this in, in verse 62, he says, Jesus said to him, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. We get the impression that none of these three actually end up following Christ because they're hindered by these other things that are going to be more important. In fact, in John 6, a lot of people followed Jesus around because they were mesmerized by the miracles that he did. That, that would be a pretty cool thing to see, this stuff, right? So a lot of people followed him around. But once they realized the sacrifice and what we were actually going to have to give, we're like, I don't think that's, um, I'm, I'm the right guy for that. In John 6, we have this phrase, many of his disciples. We're not talking about the 12 disciples. We're talking about many people that followed around the crowds. Many of those people walked no more with him. And these three individuals would probably would have fallen in that category. Let me ask you a question. Jesus specifically kind of making a point, asking these three people these three questions. Does Jesus ask these things of every Christian? I would say no to that, all right? Is Jesus going to ask you, uh, to give up all of your comforts and you're not going to have anywhere to lay your head. You're going to travel from town to town every night. You're not going to worry your sleep. Uh, is Jesus asking that of, of you? Because some of you, when I ask that, you're like, I don't know. Uh, how many of you know where you're going to put your head down tonight and sleep? Okay. I don't think Jesus is asking. Does Jesus ask these things of every Christian? No. 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 Does Jesus ask these things of some Christians? Yes. Okay. Now, we're going to talk about comfort here in just a second. There are some comforts that I enjoy that God has not asked me to give up. There are other people God has asked them to give those up. We have friends in Haiti right now. Uh, Danielle corresponds with uh, good friends of ours, uh, and she corresponds with, with the wife uh, regularly. So she spent a, a, sent a video last week when they were up in the mountains doing some medical work uh, in Haiti, and there was an, a video of this outhouse. I have actually used an outhouse before. Uh, my mom grew up with an outhouse, so that's crazy, I know. Uh, this outhouse was unbelievably nasty. And they had a video of them going in. I mean, I would not have wanted to gotten in 10 feet of this thing. I can't imagine the smell. They had to give up certain comfort. So they, they had a video of them going and using, I mean, the door was, it was nasty. They have given up certain comforts. God has asked them to do that. In fact, I think currently, I don't know if the latest on this, like two days ago, they, they just, they ran out of water, running water. But what are we going to do? I don't know. God has not asked me to give up those comforts. He has asked them to do that at this point. Here's my question to you. What sacrifices am I making 
or willing to make in my life for the cause of Christ? What am I doing that is maybe even seems radical for the kingdom of God? Being a follower of Christ costs something. What has it cost you lately? Has God asked you to do anything that is sacrificial or radical that you, like Jonah, are refusing to do? So I'm even as I'm asking that question. Has God asked you to do something that is sacrificial, maybe even seems radical, and you're like, no thanks? Now, I think it's an important time to throw this in here. Serving God, is it going to cost us something to serve God? Yes, all right. But we sang a handful of songs this morning, all right, that says there, is a, there should be a great sacrifice. And that's where I think I, sometimes we struggle in our very comfortable American life is we don't give a lot of sacrifice, right? But there should be a cost. There's a sacrifice. And some of that, some people, someone might be in here and say, like, I'm not a Christian, and this sounds like, man, I'm going to have to give up. Okay. You heard the story in Matthew where this guy's walking through a field and stumbles over this buried treasure, right? And he kicks it and, like, opens it up. This is worth millions of dollars. This field that is worth nothing is for sale. I think I'm going to buy it. I'm going to close that treasure. I'm going to cover it up, and I'm going to go and sell all that I have. And the people are like, what are you doing, man? You're nuts. I'm going to sell everything I have. Why? Because I'm going to buy that empty field over there. What? You're crazy. Yeah. I'm not going to tell you why. Why? Because he's going to buy this field and he has this, he knows about this buried treasure, something that is worth far more than all the junk he had. You know what? That is salvation, the gospel, and my life and walk with Christ. It is a, we sang about this just a minute ago. I am no longer a slave to sin, I'm a child of God. Isn't that something we're sacrificing for? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. And yet, I'm going to give a couple examples, and you're going to be like, I'm not sure I want to sacrifice that. He's worth it. So let me ask you again, how is your love for God and love for others? What does that look like? What in my life, let me word it this way, what in my life has eternal value. What are the things I'm currently involved with that have long-lasting eternal worth and is impacting lives for eternity? These are questions I've been asking myself when I ask you. What in my life has eternal value? Colossians 3, 1 through, th- uh, 1 through 3. I'm going to back up. Oftentimes we think, well, what in my life, and I hope you're asking yourself that, what in my life actually has eternal value? So I've been thinking about this question even this week and in in the middle of some conversations because I think there's things in our life that can have eternal value that we don't think about unless we're thinking about it. I don't know if that even made sense what I just said. I've been in several conversations this week and I've had this thought on my mind and I'm thinking, can I have a conversation with this individual, this person that has eternal value? Because a lot of times you can just go through a conversation, you walk away and you're like, I had no point, I just... Conversation. I have been thinking, can this conversation have eternal value? Yes, it can. I want to talk about Christ. I want to talk to others about how God has been good to me and how God is working in my life. I want to encourage you, brother or sister in the Lord, about how great God is. Can that have eternal value? 
Absolutely. So I think there's a lot of things that if we stop and think, can I make this have eternal value? I think the answer is yes, just in our everyday conversations we have. All right, Colossians 3, 1 through 3. Verse 1, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above. This ought to be the focus, not on things that are on the earth. We have that flipped around most of our time. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. What should our mindset be? What should we constantly be thinking about things that have eternal value? I am so focused, oftentimes, on the here and the now, things that are earthly. So as we conclude this morning, I want to ask you, in what ways have you sacrificed for following Christ? How does your life show that you love God with your entire heart, soul, mind, strength? So let me give you a, a few practical ideas. And the more I thought, the more things I could have mentioned. I'm just going to get list a few here this morning, okay, kind of in three different categories. All right, you ready? So what are some ways that, we could, that God might ask us to sacrifice? First one, it might be in the area of finances and giving. Many of us give. And I was, I was thinking this, Graceview is a very giving church. I'm very thankful to be part of Graceview. When we have missions efforts, um, how much money and how much you give is, is tremendous. And I think that is why God has blessed us as a church and why God has blessed us even individually. But a lot of times we can give out of our abundance. We get out of, it's, this is, I budget this, this is what I give. But you give sacrificially. We're going to have an opportunity, I don't know if you mentioned this morning, we're going to have an opportunity to participate in, in raising some funds and giving to the 20-some people that are going to go to Uganda here in a few months. You're going to have an opportunity to give. What would it look like if we gave sacrificially? What would it look like? Have you ever noticed someone around you with a need and you had the resources to meet that need, this is key, and sense the Holy Spirit saying, meet that need. But you let it pass by. Has that ever happened? You see a need. You have the resources to meet that need. You even sense the prompt of the Holy Spirit meet that need, and then you, eh, no thanks. There's a very key phrase in all of that I mentioned here, and you sensing the Holy Spirit leading you to do so. Right? So let me go back to my illustration I just gave about Uganda. Okay, So we're, we're going to collect some funds at some point here, and you're going to have an opportunity to give to this missions trip that our people, 20-some of you, are going to be going over to Uganda and doing work that will have eternal value, right? Not all of us can go, but we could give. Does that mean we sell all that we have and give to the... Well, if God asks you to do that, then yes. All right? I don't think that's what He's going to do, but that's... But if God says, my Frederick, sorry, but you're the first guy I saw. Frederick, the Holy Spirit is telling you, I want you to give $5,000 to this missions effort. I don't have five thoughts. Okay. Frederick might, God might ask Frederick to give an amount that's different than me. That's not the point. He's only going to ask me to give five bucks. Sorry, Frederick. <laughs> right. Whatever God, the Holy Spirit, prompts you to give, then we give in obedience. A great example is we go back to Jonah. Who ended up, well, let me back up. Who was told to go to Nineveh? Jonah. Who ended up in the belly of the fish? 
Well, why not his friend Bob? Because Bob wasn't told to go to Nineveh, right? The point is, you listen to the Holy Spirit and what God is telling you to do, and then we are obedient. So finance is one area. Comfort's another one. Have you ever done something for the cause of Christ that was uncomfortable? Have you ever done something that was uncomfortable? Now, I, I know we have a good group that goes and to the, does the outreach missing thing. They did it a week ago. And there are some things that can be uncomfortable about that. You're going maybe into an uncomfortable place, being around people maybe that you're not comfortable with. Right? There is a certain level of sacrifice that you're making to go out of your comfort zone to talk with somebody. Have you ever felt the Spirit tugging at your heart to share your faith, but it was uncomfortable, so you didn't? In that case, we're just like Jonah, outside of the smelling like fish. You're like Jonah, because we're not obedient to sharing God's message of truth. Some of you have shown an interest in fostering or possibly adopting, but it seems scary. It is. I can't do that. That would disrupt my schedule. Well, God has asked us to do that. God has not asked everybody to do that. But if God has asked you to do that, then what's your response? Obedience. So we have finances, comfort. What about time? I was thinking about this. Grace, we have so many. We were talking about this in an elder meeting about a week or two ago. I love the fact that Grace, we have such a solid, good, large core of people that are committed and give so much of their time, are part of this ministry in one way or the other, right? I was thinking even like we have VBS, and we have workers that, working at VBS is a sacrifice. You work all day, and you come, and you're here at night, and you go up, that's a long week, right? There's, there's a sacrifice, giving of your time. We greatly appreciate it. Many of you sacrifice in that way. But here's an opportunity. Uh, we mentioned this several times and mentioned it again this morning. We have an opportunity coming up in September to participate in the exchange seminar to help continue our learning and understanding of how to share our faith. All right? So I would say, if you're part of Graceview, you're a follower of Christ, unless you have arrived in this sharing people, uh, sharing the faith with, uh, you know, you're perfect and don't need any help, I would say I think this is something that we should be part of, right? Now, I had a list of excuses why people wouldn't come, and I thought, man, this is going to make people angry. So I'm actually not even going to go on any of those. It could be simply like, you know what, that's a great idea, but, man, it's my Saturday morning. I don't, I don't want to give up my Saturday morning and a couple hours on Sunday afternoon. This is where I've, I've been struggling, even as I just the last few weeks, what am I actually willing to sacrifice? Because the things that we say we sacrifice, if you were to put them all together, it'd be like, man, I think there'd be a lot of people in a lot of other countries that think, you Americans are pathetic. I think when we have an opportunity to come to this exchange seminar here in another couple months, we ought to pack the place out, say, you know what? Because I don't care what sacrifice, I might have to miss one of my kids' ball games. I might have to give up, you know, mowing my yard that morning. I'm not, 
I'm going to sacrifice and I'm going to give him my time because I want to learn how to better be prepared to share my faith. That ought to be something that we sacrifice. That's a little thing. So what's the point? I'm not saying if you don't come to the exchange seminar, you don't love God. That's not what I'm saying, all right? What I am saying is that we live most of our lives for ourselves. And we make little sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Now again, He's worth it. He's worth it. But there should be a cost. There should be a sacrifice. What am I doing that has eternal value? What is God bringing to your mind right now that you say, God, you know what? You have been telling me to do this. What do you need to be obedient in this morning? It's no wonder that we struggle with idols. It's because we aren't loving God the way we should. So naturally, other things take that place, and we love them instead of God. Our wants and desires take first priority, and God kind of gets our leftovers. If I was to take all the things that I did this week and make a list of two columns, right? so in your mind, picture this, I have two columns. All the things that I did, these were all the things that had earthly value, wood, hay, and stubble, all these things. There are things that we have to do that have earthly value. Okay? There are things that we have to do. Then over here, I put all the things that had eternal value. What, what would your list look like? Just in your mind, what, what do I do that has eternal value? If each one of us in here today who say we are followers of Christ, if we truly love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our soul, our mind, if we were consistently listening to the Holy Spirit and ready to obey His voice no matter the sacrifice or cost, what would that look like? Think of the disciples. Think of their boldness and willingness to share their faith even to their death. We've been talking about that even as we go through Acts, the boldness that they had. Regardless of the cost, I'm going to share truth. Can you say with the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. What is it that God is asking you to do? Are you willing to take up your cross and follow Him? He is worth it. Let's pray. God, we do thank You for your love for us, and even as we consider what Jonah knew, that you are a good and gracious and merciful God. God, we want to be an obedient people. But God, so often we get wrapped up in things of this world, our comfort, material possessions. We want it easy. We love you, we say we love you. And we know who you are and we read your Bible, but God, when it comes to sacrifice and what it might cost, we're, we're not so sure. God, I pray that you would help us to be a people that listens to your voice, speak, and then we just obey, regardless of the sacrifice or cost it might be. God, help grace for you to be a church that follows you no matter what. God, you're worth it. Thank you for being a holy, just loving, gracious God. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to go into our communion time.